You are now entering a mahogany forum where we hope you find a resilient soul resonating message sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb with your host Alexa, an urban researcher. Follow her as she curates Mahogany Honey, the podcast dedicated to culture, social change, education, relationships, and so much more. Hi guys, welcome to Mahogany Honey, the podcast. I am so excited today. We have a Dominican writer, producer, oh my goodness, a filmmaker in the making. Like, I love this. You guys, you have to check out her web series, Pineapple Diaries. Um, And I want to just say that pretty much my mom was able to sit through it and she was captivated by it. So this is something that you can definitely watch with your parents. Um, Please check it out. So let me just get right into uh, who we're introducing. Today we have Paloma Valenzuela. I want to make sure that I say your last name right because I always feel like I, I at times my Spanish could be a little bit better. Como, how's Valenzuela for you? Does- oh, perfect. Valenzuela, as long as it's not, I mean, not that I mind either way, but a lot of people say Venezuela when they read it too fast. And it's not Venezuela like the country, it's Valenzuela, just the last name. But um, but yeah, you say it perfectly. Okay, you guys, you heard that. Now you know. <laughs> so writer producer and creative director of the pineapple diaries web series paloma valenzuela and she's a current resident of boston massachusetts you guys yes yes boston we'll represent the new england area today yes new england dominicans dominicans don't only exist in new york y'all it's true it's the truth so I'm so excited to explore detailed, you know, storytelling journey into your path to becoming a producer and owner of La Gringa Loca Productions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Throughout the conversation, we hope to give the listeners and the viewers on your resilient journey thus far, because it is, and highlighting Boston inner cities as well, local talent and the advocacy in film. All right, Paloma, give it to us. What's good? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just here having a conversation with you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. Um, I love, um, I just, you know, love what you're doing with your show and reaching out to women in production. And um, I think it's a show that a lot of other women in production can learn, like learn from, including myself to hear stories of other women in the business and women storytellers is, um, I love it. I love, I love it. So I think it's great what you're doing with your show. I'm excited because we're going to get into, you know, speaking about the culture, the arts, um, you as a, as women, us as women entrepreneurs, you know, and advocacy for multicultural populations. And the fact that where we reside definitely has a either inspires us or has influence over, you know, the things that we do day to day when we do go ahead and create content. And so let the listeners know, girl, what's your personal and professional background? My personal and professional back. Okay. My personal background is um, I'm Dominican American, um, biracial. My father is Dominican, Afro-Caribbean um, from Las Matas de Farfán. And my mom is American, Jewish American uh, with, you know, background from Hungary and France. And, um, and um, 
I was born here in Boston. I was born specifically in the hospital in Cambridge. Um, and I grew up in Jamaica Plain, moved here to Jamaica Plain, Boston in, I believe I was in the second grade. And so I've been here more or less ever since. I uh, went to um, secondary school, middle school, high school and college here in Boston. And after college, I went to Emerson College. So I guess this is going into my professional <laughs> background. Um, uh, I went to Emerson College and I studied writing for film and television. So after graduating um, from Emerson in 2009, I decided to move to the Dominican Republic. And, you know, not to say that this is the reason why, but, you know, growing up in a multiracial home, multicultural home, even though both my parents speak Spanish in the home, um, you know, my brother, I won't speak for him, but I, as from what I remember, me and my brother didn't speak Spanish growing up. We were definitely surrounded by the language. And my parents say that I rejected it when I was a little kid, although, you know, I was just a little kid, but although I will not pretend I know how to be a parent and how to try to, you know, raise your children bilingual. I mean, I think that that is a challenge, especially the older I get, I know, I know how hard that must be. Um, so uh, basically I struggled with that. I struggled with that um, in terms of like my identity, of course, again, being biracial, you're always searching for your identity. You're always searching for people to figure you out, people to be able to place you somewhere. And, um, you know, I've, I've, now that I'm 33, I understand that I don't need to be placed anywhere, that I am who I am. And I'm proud of every part of me. I'm proud of, of who I am. And I'm proud of my racial makeup, my cultural makeup. I just am who I am. And I don't, I'm like, don't need to apologize for it. But when you're a little girl and you're, an, or, and you're in high school, you're desperate to find someone to pinpoint who you are, to give you an identity, to place that on you. Right. And because I didn't speak Spanish, I felt that I would never be placed in the Latinx community, that I would not ever be really regarded as someone who is Dominican if I don't speak the language. And of course, again, now at, at my older age, I recognize that no matter if I ever learned Spanish or not, I was always going to be a daughter of daughter of Quisqueya and I was always going to be who I was and I'd never needed to prove myself to anybody via doing any of that stuff however um, after college I moved to DR to improve my Spanish I had been learning trying to learn Spanish on my own through college like translating songs and trying to read and like learn here and there words I kind of went to DR for a month before my sophomore year of college to take a Spanish class. And so I had been doing a little bit of stuff here and there, but I felt like what I really needed was to go there, to connect with my roots, to connect with my family, to get to know them better so they can get to know me so I could get to know like La Tierra. And so I moved to DR in 2009. I lived there for five years um, and I worked in cinema, sort of freelancing, um, doing script editing jobs. And I also worked as a theater director at a bilingual school. And then, yeah, in 2014, I moved back to Boston and that's when I created my, my show. So I've been working in the arts in DR and here since 2009. So yeah, how long is that? That's so wild. Yeah, is that over a decade? Almost. So, yeah. yeah, so so that's how long I've been doing this. And I, I didn't start freelancing, meaning full-time doing 
only artist sort of contracted jobs, including arts education um, since, so, since 2014. So I've been freelancing since 2014 and I still do it today, so. Awesome, yeah. that's awesome. Um, <laughs> I definitely wanna know, uh, you know, where you reside and where you grew up, like how has it influenced you or inspired you? You know, I think it's interesting and I can look back like, you know, I, I guess it, it just feels like so different now, my reality, you know, in terms of my relationship with Boston to look back at what it was before. But, um, you know, for many reasons, like probably just because I grew up here and, you know, when you grow up anywhere, you're kind of like ready to leave. Um, but also Boston not necessarily feeling like a home for the arts growing up. So even though I went to the only um, arts public high school here in Boston, Boston Arts Academy, which was a gift of my life to be able to do that, I know for a fact that because I went to that high school, I was able to cultivate the confidence to believe that I can be an artist for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Like I never, you know, being surrounded by adults and peers who are all artists and 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 have their goals be to become artists and live an artist life etc cetera, etc cetera. there's not like this energy of you need to have a backup plan or this is stupid this is not viable like you will never make it I never felt that way I always felt like I was surrounded by encouragement you can do this like you know, you can continue on this path to be a writer, go on, keep learning, keep growing, keep doing it. That's how I felt my like high school career was like. Um, but outside of the bubble of high school, Boston is not necessarily arts city. And, and, and Boston in general is just complicated in terms of, for lack of a better way of describing it, for like, it's, it's public relations. I feel like it isn't working for us. Like I have this feeling that like, for some reason, I mean, for many reasons, because they're fabulous cities, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, they're deemed like these super cool cities, vibrant, there's history, it's wonderful. And I feel like as soon as I step outside of Boston, I feel like Boston doesn't have that kind of reputation. It doesn't have a reputation for being cool. It doesn't have a reputation for even being um, diverse. <laughs> it doesn't have a reputation for, for even its communities of color, which is the majority of the communities in this city, or for its arts, the, the heartbeat of its arts community here in Boston. It just doesn't have that kind of reputation outside of the city. And so it, it makes you kind of feel like you want to shrink yourself like okay I'm from Boston like don't tell anybody I'm from Boston you know and then you want to go anywhere else like let me go to LA that's where it's at let me go to New York that's so, where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. and so that was definitely my growing up like that's what it was it was like you're never going to make it here you need to leave and so when I came so even all of the other stuff that I did I went to LA my last semester in college which was something I thought I'd come back to after DR. I actually went to New York after DR, like in the middle there, I went to New York for a year. Um, going back to Boston was never like an option. But after five years living in DR and realizing that I needed some sort of change, um, I needed to quit my job. And um, you know, the only option I had was to move back with my parents, which I have no shame about because I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have my parents even Absolutely. support what I do and to want to be there and to be there. The fact that I even have my parents in my life and that they're still married and that they love each other and they love what I do. And they, you know, for me, 
it's a gift as opposed to something I should feel ashamed of that I had to go back to them. To me, it was a gift. And so, um, but they live in Boston. <laughs> so, you know, it never occurred to me that this was going to be my home after moving back from DR. This was just the interim. Like, this is just like temporal. And coming back to Boston, and this is the amazing thing, is coming back to Boston after going to DR, which I love. Like, I love I loved living there. My, you know, I feel like since I moved there after I was 21 or something like that, like that's my early 20s, I made like my lifelong friends there in DR. You know, one of my best friends, Tatiana to this day um, is one of my best friends and she lives in Santo Domingo. And so coming back here and I left all my friends, I, you know, I feel like what, <laughs> like, what am I doing here? And to build myself back up again in the city, was an exploration. And I reconnected with um, old friends from Boston Arts Academy, um, my old friends who actually moved to other places that were came back to Boston at the same time. And we, you know, decided to produce this web series, The Pineapple Diaries, when I came back. And in doing it, it was kind of like, we're going to do this show here in Boston because we're here. But in, in moving back here, in my, in my you know, mid 20s, I don't know the math. I don't know how old I was, <laughs> 27 maybe, I don't know. Coming back and reconnecting with the city as an adult, I like fell in love with my city. Like I felt like there was, there's something about me in this city that is a part of my identity. In addition to everything else I was looking for, like my Dominican roots or, you know, even like, you know, everything about me that I'm trying to figure out was also here in the city. Like I, I am a Bostonian, like it's almost like the one thing that no one can take away from me because again, being biracial is complicated and people try to figure out, they try to put you in a box. But one thing no one can say about me is that I'm not a Bostonian, like I'm a Bostonian. And coming back here and wanting to create a show here in Boston made me think like how wonderful it would have been growing up in Boston and having been able to see a show like Pineapple Diaries as a Bostonian, as a young Bostonian, seeing something filmed in Boston that feels like the Boston I know, like in my corner of the city, in Jamaica Plain, in the, you know, Latin quarters as it's called now, which Hyde Square um, is what it used to be called you know, Hyde Square, Jackson, Jackson Square Station, um, you know, the Dominican um, businesses and, and um, the Dominican community here in my neighborhood. To me, that is a part of the Boston that I know that I never saw on TV. And so to my extremely long answer to your question is, it was through rediscovery of my love for this city and wanting to do something different here that I feel like I wasn't provided with when I was growing up here again, which is representation of the city that that really reflects the city that I know because I can only speak from my perspective. Someone else might be like, that's not the Boston I know. Okay, well, maybe you're from a different neighborhood, but this is the Boston that I know and I hope that it reconnects to other people from Boston that can watch the Pineapple Diaries and say, oh my God, that, that looks like my neighborhood. That's the Boston that I know. Um, so in doing that, especially going to all the locations we went to, you know, getting like connecting with the community, like Eggleston Square, Main Street, 
um, Hyde Square Task Force, um, you know, the organizations in the neighborhood um, and the businesses in the neighborhood, like actually reaching out to them to see if we can film in their spaces and then being able to film in their spaces. The amount of places that we got to film here in the neighborhood you can't help but fall in love with with the city, with the community, with the with the amazing people that really like, you know, con los brazos abiertos said, go come, like come film here. Sure, let like like do whatever you're doing. Like obviously, yeah. we're not famous and we, you know, we we never were, but for sure we people might know might know the show a little bit more now than they did when we started. But when we started, no one even knew what we were doing, and they still like were so welcoming to let us film and let us create something and dance and frolic in the streets and nobody batted an eye. Like, you know, that experience of creating the show made me fall in love with the city and made me know for a fact that whatever it is that I do, because who knows I want to live here all my life, I don't know that. But I do know that it will always be important to me to create something in Boston that does something different than what I think has been previously created or reflected of Boston which is again, to me, the Boston that I know, which is the arts community in Boston, the communities of color in Boston and the neighborhoods of Boston, which I think don't get enough attention. And they're the most vibrant part of the city. Like the most important parts of the city are Roxbury, Jamaica Plain, you know, Mattapan, like that is what is important about the city. Yeah. And so that is what is important to me and inspires me to create. So because I watched a little bit of it, like I, I expressed to you earlier before we got on here, um, you brought back a lot of like my 20 memories too when I was in my 20s. Um, because the areas that you're mentioning are the areas that I used to move in and navigate as well with my friends. Even mm -hmm. though I live in the South Coast area, I live a little bit, you know, not up so North than you do. Um, but I would go out of the area that I live in to go have the experiences that you literally put on the web series. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that. So it was so refreshing uh, to see that because at times I had the same relationship that you felt with Boston, almost like I have to leave the mm. state in order to like expand and like pretty much how I feel inside about who I am you know you feel like you're like this sancocho inside and you just want everybody to like see it you know and I felt that that's what your show was your show was like look like look at this look at all the oh, oh, give me little goosebumps that makes me I love that I never thought about about it like that but I love that so yeah it definitely felt that way and like I said we I love the fact that it's Spanglish because my my mom's a Gemini and it's hard for her to like literally sit and get like pay attention to something so the fact that she even sat down for like 10 minutes with me to like watch it says a lot oh I feel honored tell her thank you so much I'm so <laughs> glad she enjoyed whatever she watched I'm glad she saw it <laughs> she did she enjoyed it um she enjoyed the Maite character when she was going through the the egg uh ovulation party the extra oh. party thing yes yes oh my gosh that was a chaotic day um but fun that was fun to film but yeah I love that one too so she loved that dialogue between you know daughter and mom that was oh, going yeah. on and then um I I do want to get into because I do feel like Dominican Republic your experience there um I remember when we initially did the meet and greet you expressed to me how like the the filmmaking industry there is actually very advanced so 
I wanted to touch up on that because I feel like that's important. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, when I first moved to DR, I feel like it was like a budding, definitely like a budding industry. The, you know, the the, the pioneers of cine in DR, um, Angel Muñiz, Alfonso Rodriguez, you know, have been creating work um, in DR prior to that, you know, even in the 90s and the 80s even, um, which was Angel Muñiz's studio. And I went there and it was amazing to me, the innovation, um, you know, just the creativity and the, um, just the passion that Angel Muniz had to create a space in DR where other people can come and create their films, not just Angel Muniz, but other people could rent out the studio space and, and create their, um, you know, create their sets and, and, and film their films. And um, at the time, what was being, what was being filmed in Quita Sueño was a television show called um, Juanita's Gran Salon y Espa that Angel was directing. And so um, I came on as an intern, as a second assistant director intern. And I was there for like, we were like there for four months filming that show. And, and there are a lot of people that I met at the time that were also just starting out. And years later, now they're, you know, full on, um, you know, either, you know, assistant, um, you know, ACs or uh, full on directors of photography. Um, you know, one of my friends from uh, Quita Sueño from that time where we were filming Juanita's Gran, uh, Gran Salón, wait, no, Gran Salón y Spa. Um, you know, went on to be a director for like three major films um, in DR. So the industry just kept growing, like after 2009 to, to today, where not only is the Dominican Republic and Dominican filmmakers, Dominican crews creating and uh, um, films and, and telling their stories, also, you know, a lot of films like American films are filmed in DR. For instance, a scene from um, If Beale Street Could Talk was, was uh, set in Puerto Rico, but it was actually filmed in, in the Dominican Republic and Fast and the Furious. And I don't know how many other films like American films or European films that were filmed in Dominican Republic. So yeah. it is a very, it's a very booming industry. And the most important part about it to me is the fact that it is a place where Dominican artists can consistently work. And it's an amazing thing. Like the amount of talent in the Dominican Republic, um, you know, with the young people, <laughs> I say young people, but I mean like my contemporaries as well, um, you know, uh, photographers, sound designers, editors, motion graphic designers, directors, um, screenwriters. I mean, there's so much talent in the Dominican Republic. And so what I think is so beautiful about the industry being booming is that so much talent is, is given the opportunity to create. And I hope that it just keeps growing because um, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I film, I worked on three different feature films in DR as, as a second assistant director. And the experience has been amazing. And, you know, I've made lifelong friends and it's just a beautiful thing. Like I truly miss it. I miss, now that I'm thinking about it, obviously it's really sad. I haven't been back, you know, because of coronavirus and all this, but I miss the island. I miss my friends and I miss working in the industry in DR and hope to go back to it and hope to, to I hope to direct my own feature film in DR 
to work with the incredible talented people in DR because I'm telling you girl you might be manifesting right now I I mean words my dream I say to everybody I tell them like (laughs) my dream since basically starting to learn how to screenwrite is that I wanted to create a movie in the Dominican Republic so it's still a dream today universe (laughs) work your magic (laughs) you heard her we're gonna pace ourselves we'll pace ourselves but I'm never I never lose my eye on the prize so hopefully you uh, stating that here will help amplify your dream to the universe. <laughs> Who knows? So I want to know, what do you think the future looks like for women in production? Well, you know, the future of women in production is, is like, I mean, to me, it's always been here and it's, it's, oh, it's still, it's here now in the sense that you know, the amount of women working in production and creating amazing work and, you know, female storytellers um, that are out there doing their thing, it's undeniable that the work is excellent. (laughs) You know, that not only like, is it necessary to have um, stories be told by, by, many different perspectives. So the fact that, you know, if we live in a world where we're only receiving stories told by men, um, you know, heteronormative cis men, you know, we're, we're not <laughs> getting the amount of stories that would be reflective of, of the world or even the people in the audience. So, you know, it's so important that women continue to push to tell their stories and be assertive in being the ones to tell their stories the way they want to tell them. And when you see women, and I you know, say women, W-O-M-X-N. Yes. And you see women telling their story the way that they want to tell their story, it always creates excellence. And I don't mean to say this just because I'm a woman, <laughs> but obviously I stand all women and I just feel that it's it's also almost objective to say that work that women the work that women put out is excellent and you know the you know you look at things like the golden globes and the oscars like barely ever nominating women and to me it's it's ridiculous it's just as ridiculous as um the other issues of you know inclusivity um across the board is this idea that like like as if it's hard it's not hard you know the work the work that is done by you know communities of color um the work by you know black filmmakers latinx filmmakers is excellent you do not need to do that much work to find amazing films created by um filmmakers of color it is not hard um so likewise with women and women w-o-m-x-n is that you do not need to do that much work to find excellent work by by these filmmakers. So to me, the future of women in production, again, is like, it's already here because women are already creating amazing work and women are already trailblazing and doing the damn thing. Cause I can make a whole list of the amount of screenwriters, showrunners, directors out there that are just creating excellence, but also, the future of women in production in terms of recognition is also a part of holding accountable the institutions that are refusing to change. 
And those institutions are, you know, Hollywood as a whole, you know, the production houses, executive producers, and the institutions like the, you know, Hollywood Foreign Press Association and the, um, you know, the motion pictures and sciences, the Oscars people, you know, all of, all of this stuff, you know, the idea that women in film are creating amazing work. There's amazing storytelling going on. There's excellent photography, filmmaking. There's just excellence happening. And yet these institutions still are only giving accolade to white male filmmakers. Um, so that needs to change. <laughs> that needs to change. There needs to be more women on those boards. There need to be more women executive producers. And even though it sounds archaic, there's still this idea that like all female casts, all female stories won't sell. And yet when you see the numbers, it's never the case. It's the same concept people have about um, black stories. Um, that they're not going to sell. And yet when you see it, it, it's the complete opposite of what has been projected. For instance, Black Panther is one of the best-selling films, you know, ever. And don't quote me on that, but I'm sure it was really well watched. <laughs> so there are these ideas that like, oh, well, all female, whatever is not going to sell and all this, but they're always wrong. They're always wrong. And so these institutions need to change to like allow for the pathway for women to just continue to do the excellent work that they're doing and to receive the recognition that they need. And a lot of people will be like, well, that stuff is stupid. Like who cares what awards, but like, it matters. Like, I mean, you're lying. If you say it doesn't matter, it matters. Recognition matters, you know, recognition from institutions like that matter. They also open doors for more opportunities. So you can't deny, I guess that they matter. How do you think, and specifically, and I wanna to speak to the New England area, what do you think as women we may need to advocate for more or where we need to probably just push or persevere more in when it comes to production? I think, and you know, this isn't to say, cause I, I, you know, I work with, I work with men as well on production. I work with men as, you know, photographers and all of that. But no matter where you are in the world, you know, again, you know, there's more of an industry in New York, there's more of an industry in LA, but wherever you are in the world um, creating art, I feel like it, it's really imperative to be intentional about maybe going out and, and, and searching for women to put on your crew, uh, women to hire um, but for behind the scenes, behind the camera. Um, and, Again, I'm, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not like policing anyone. Again, I've worked with men. I have, I've worked with many men um, on Pineapple Diaries and et cetera that I love working with. And, you know, you got to find the people that you have chemistry with that you can work with. And so that's the truth. But I also think it's really important to reach out to women and ask women to be in your crew. Um, and even young, you know, young women that, are just looking for an internship or a production assistant, you know, just bring them on because the more you have women learning from the production that you're doing um, or being a part of what you're doing, the more they're going to take from that and then do their own thing and, and it'll just domino effect. Um, I think that's probably one thing I would say that women, I'm not saying that they don't because I believe that they do, but I would say women should continue to advocate for other women because I think that 
we it's like you know power and numbers and um and like i said there's it's not hard <laughs> like to find obviously talented um and capable women i mean <laughs> it's such a stupid thing to say because it's so obvious but of course it's not hard and so you know if you can hire a woman in your crew hire a all female crew then I think that's, that's something that would be, that's a wonderful thing. So that's great. And um, I, I was almost compelled to almost ask like, what led you onto the podcast? Cause I feel almost, it kind of go ties into what you're previously saying, but I don't want to speak for you. Oh, well, like I said, I love, I love what you're doing. I love the theme of, of your, your program in, in, in bringing on women in production. And like I said, it's a program that you know, I feel like I will listen to for future interviews to learn from other women that you bring onto the show and having a platform where women can talk about the work that they do and their perspective as women in, in the industry or, or, or as independent artists is, is so important. So, and obviously I'm honored that you even asked me to be on the show and that you are interested in anything I have to say is an honor for me. And, and I just, I love, I love stuff like this. Obviously I'm, I st I stand women, and I love learning from them, um, learning from um, their perspectives and their experiences, and and growing in a community of women is important to me. Yeah, because I, I was hearing it when you were when I had asked the question, so I was like, you know, you're doing it right now, right? It was almost <laughs> like that's what I was trying to get out of you. <laughs> I mean, we, we try, we try. I mean, I also, it's funny too, because I really do. It's also really important for me to like create, you know, male characters or cis male characters from my perspective in my world, you know, like I definitely feel that in many ways it's obviously my show is a comedy show, but it's also like obviously a very positive show. I mean, we, we talk about real things, but we always keep it, keep it on the comedy side and stuff like that. So I feel like um, the men on the show you know, are not necessarily perfect, but I find them to be reflections of, you know, men that I admire. And I think it's okay for me to write male characters like that. <laughs> you know, men that are um, feminist, men that are, you know, kind, <laughs> men that are not, not necessarily toxic, you know what I mean? Like, um, so it's still important for me to write male characters and not that they're always going to be aspirational male characters. Um, but, but, um, and to have men on my crew as well, because I almost feel like it's also important for men to have more experience and I'm not trying to generalize obviously. So I'll make that disclaimer because obviously there are plenty of men out there that again are, um, very much advocating for, for, for women and in general. And so, but I would say that, you know, having men on a crew with mostly women is also going to be beneficial for that man, because I think that also men need to have much more experience um, working under the authority of women, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it. I might, <laughs> I might tell you to take that out, but, but just the idea that like, you know, I think that it's important for men to also really just get used to like working under women, telling them what they want and, and telling them what they need and, 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 you know, working under female directors. And I think it's, I think it's important all around. So definitely still hire, hire men on your, on your, you know, if hire whoever you want, but just know that, um, 
be inclusive. Be intentional. Be intentional. Be intentional. Yeah. Be intentional and inclusive still. Don't forget yes. to also, you know, because we're over here advocating for ourselves, but also like we have to ensure that at the same time we're speaking what we're saying. Exactly. And be inclusive. <laughs> be inclusive in general. And and again, I don't think that being inclusive, because I feel like a lot of like I see a lot of like businesses and corporations do like mad fake shit. Like I remember not remember, it just happened, but I felt like the Golden Globes was like parading around, you know, um, these sort of like apologies and stuff um, about, or talking about accountability and stuff like that. And, you know, that's fine. But I also feel like, again, it's not that hard, you know, to again, um, be inclusive, or to, in, in their case, have um, more Black members on the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And so to me, it feels like, yeah, you got to just, being inclusive never, ever will mean sacrificing any artistic content or artistic caliber, because the amount of talented artists of color out there is like, just, you can't even count it. Like, it's just, there. I mean, it is just incredible the amount of, of talent in, in, in all communities of the world. And yet, and still there are these issues of inclusivity in these like all white institutions. And it's like, I don't know, they're just like pasao. Like, I just feel like it's just like pasao. And it's, it's, it's like, come on guys, it's really not that hard because ta- the talent is in abundance. And I feel like we're in a very innovative state right now. And I think that the baton has been passed down to us, the millennials. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like we're driving the car now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just exciting times, you know? And that this leads me into your next question, where is, where do you see Boston's local talent in the arts, specifically in film, looking like in 10 years? You know, I don't know. I will say this as like a message to everyone in Boston who decides to leave. Like, I hear you. Like, no judgment whatsoever. I think that everyone's career path is individual and, and, and it's their choice. And I think that for those super talented Bostonians that decide that they want to move to LA or move to New York to continue their careers in a way that feels more fruitful, um, I hear it and it's going to keep happening unless Boston, you know, continues to try to cultivate space for us artists in the city, um, especially artists of color. Um, so I think that that's probably going to keep happening. Um, artists leaving to go, you know, continue their careers in a space that is going to offer them much more opportunity and abundance. So I think that it's just important for Boston to um, you know, be a place where more films can be filmed. Um, I think that more studios should exist here. Um, you know, w- one of my dreams, I guess was, we're talking about all my dreams. This one's, my, this one's gonna be an extra hard one, maybe harder than the other dream I had, but I would love to one day like have, you know, you know, a real, a studio like soundstage space here in Boston where people could rent the space and do whatever they wanted. Music videos, sh- films, short films, projects. Um, whatever it might be, I would love to have like an actual space for La Gringa Loca Productions where people could come, you know, have a space to create here that would be catering to, you know, my communities and and the artists communities of color here in Boston. And so that's a big dream of mine, but even if I don't get to do it before someone else does, I hope that it just exists, that there just are production spaces here for people to, to create work. And then obviously the bigger, the bigger sort of 
um, doors opening for productions outside of Boston to come and create their films here. And that there be also, and this is just me rambling at this point, but that there be like just more films that are set in Boston that feel like Boston to the rest of us at all to anyone who's created films in Boston, like no shade at all because it's, it's from their perspective and I respect that. But like a lot of the sort of like all white sort of Southie or mafia movies set in Boston don't necessarily feel like an authentic Boston to me, not to say that it's not real to someone else, but to me. And so I just feel like I wish that there would be a little bit more films set in Boston, not necessarily that they're filmed in Boston, then, oh, some, you know, neutral city that no one ever knows what's going on. No, I mean like that, uh, uh, that a movie be set in Boston, that it feels like Boston, that we're seeing the Boston landscape and that, you know, you know, the, the crew is, is made up of Boston artists or that there be, you know, Bostonians in the film, <laughs> all of that. Like, so I feel like, you know, that, that is a hopeful future for, for Boston, just a little bit more opportunities for us to continue to create here so that we don't necessarily always feel the need to leave. Yeah, and just more visibility about how you said the diversity aspect of Boston, because like a lot of the representation when we do films and about Boston is almost like you have to hire like a different actor from like, who's not from the area, mm -hmm. like to come on to. And I'm just like, oh, you guys missed the mark again, you know? Right. And exactly, it's like, you know, if people think, if people outside of Boston literally have no concept of, of any communities of color in Boston, or even like the Black history here in Boston, then there's clearly an issue with the public relations of this city. Like, they're clearly not projecting the city the way it really is, and that's an issue. And I hope that more artists continue to create shows or films that do project a Boston that feels authentic to the communities of Boston that I think are marginalized and 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 forgotten when in the conversation of Boston, like we are left out, like we're like as if we don't exist. <laughs> and so that's also a hope that I have for the future of Boston that we see more of that. Well, I have enjoyed this conversation and learned so much. And before we let go, I definitely want to know where are you now in your journey? And yeah. All those, all those great things. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. But yeah, I think a lot of people probably are just trying to survive. Um, thrival survival. You know, I'm grateful for shelter, nourishment. I'm grateful for my family being close by. I'm grateful to have my parents in my life and my brother and my sister-in-law, my nephew. I'm grateful just to have work. Like, I, I cannot believe it that, you know, in this time I've been able to sustain paying my bills and, and to sustain myself doing my art and that I'm doing projects that I, I really enjoy, including my, you know, teaching um, gigs. I teach a class at Boston Public School. I teach um, with Grub Street, which is an organization here. And I just started at Brandeis University teaching a screenwriting class. And I just cannot believe that I'm able to do this because I truly love it. And the video projects that I do, you know, with the Gardner Museum or any other gig that comes up is just such a gift. So that's where I am right now. I'm just so grateful to be working. I do recognize that you know, maybe for some, like during the pandemic, this is the time to like write, to write more, to write 50 screenplays. I emotionally am not there. <laughs> I literally feel like my main goal has been to secure work and to, to secure some sort of stability 
to maintain myself during this time. And again, the fact that I've been able to do it, I do not take for granted. It is a gift. Um, and I'm so grateful for it because I know that it's not easy. And especially someone who works in the field that I work with, it's almost inconceivable that I could possibly be stable at this moment. So I'm just grateful for that, that in the stability, I can find more of a routine to, to finish a screen, a screenplay that I'm working on and, um, and, and gleam more towards the future of possibly producing my next project. Um, but since we're still like in the middle of this pandemic, I'm trying to be easy on myself and not try to think to myself like, oh, I should be doing more. I should be producing more. I should be, you know, I feel like, oh, that kind of thinking is so unhelpful. And I just feel like, you know, the best that I can do right now is do what I'm doing and, and have a hopeful, positive outlook for the future that I can produce something new in el futuro cercano. Si Dios quiere. <laughs> si Dios quiere. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. I'm just in a space of gratitude every day. I feel you on that one. Um, right now we're all figuring it out. This is like new <laughs> rebirth, like new. Yeah. I feel like all, I can't believe how much we've actually, actually adapted. You know, it almost yeah. is wild. It's wild. I, I, I don't, I feel like I try to remind myself every day, like, especially when I feel those moments of I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. It's like, at the end of the day, I don't think there's one human being that exists right now in this world that is a professional at living in the, in a pandemic, like, like, oh, I got this. No, I feel like everyone in, in some way is either struggling emotionally or, or, you know, you know, tangibly within whatever it is, their everyday lives in terms of the emotional part, like the ups and downs. I'm sure everyone is going through it. So yeah, I think it's, it's good to remind ourselves like that, you know, no one's asking us to be professional pandemic livers. <laughs> that's not, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a quotable moment that I'll probably put up. <laughs> no, please. Livers? <laughs> no, no, no. But you know, we're not like, nobody, nobody knows what they're doing and everyone's trying their best. And I think that that's the most you can ask of yourself is just like, you know, try your best, be easy on yourself. So our takeaways, any suggestions, tools, advice to the listeners aside from not being professional pinned? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that is the advice. Don't ever put so much pressure on yourself that you need to be like, you know, like as if, as if you need to know what you're doing right now, you know, nobody does. And I think everyone's trying their best. So that would be my advice. That's what I would say. If you're an artist right now, and at any moment you felt pressure that you weren't doing enough, just know that like existing every day, getting through every day and just trying your best is enough. And of course you're enough <laughs> and it's never beneficial to compare yourself or your career path with anyone but especially right now, it is just nonsensical. <laughs> like, just don't do it. Don't compare your career path to other people or, or if other people are producing more work than you are in the middle of this pandemic, like all power to them, but everyone has their own path and, and you just have to, 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 to trust in your path. So where can we find you? Give us your social links. <laughs> okay, so social media, I have um, um, my YouTube is uh, basically you could just go um, youtube.com slash La Gringa Loca um, and you'll find the Pineapple Diaries there or any other miscellaneous videos that I might have done will be on that page. And that's probably it. I'm working on my website. So I won't, <laughs> don't, I won't direct you there. Although you could probably easily find it, but I'm working on it. I want to remix it this year. All right. And then any links or references that you might want to add or 
any inspirational books that changed your life that led you on the path that you are now? No, nothing like that. Oh, I don't know. Obviously, like, you know, the Sidfield books uh, are like classics when you're starting to, to learn screenwriting. Um, there's a book um, called um, Save the Cat, which I think is a really great book about um, plot structure. Um, and it has a really great perspective on analyzing plot structure. And to me, it's a it's a good one. It's one that it's one that I definitely like flip back to whenever I'm trying to outline a story. Not that you not that people need to be formulaic, but you know, the structures are there to guide you. And then, you know, you break the rules where you want to and stuff like that. But I I just love the I love the science of the plot structures. And when you watch a movie, recognizing what the plot right. structure is, I just love it. So yeah, those, those would be good ones. Like just classic um, screenwriting books definitely help me. And, um, you know, certainly reading a lot of plays growing up um, were important to me, you know, <laughs> Tennessee Williams plays, um, August Wilson's one of my favorite playwrights. So yeah, I think reading, plays and reading screenplays is also um, something I would suggest to, you know, writers or, you know, aspiring writers. I think that, although everyone's a writer, but you know what I mean? Like people who are interested in screenwriting, reading screenplays, like if you really loved a movie, Google it to see if you can find the PDF of the screenplay and read it. And I think mm -hmm. that there's nothing more fun than that. And, and you learn a lot. You do. I took a course, so I, I vouch everything she's saying. Yes. Okay. Good. I'm like, I'm like sometimes I'm like, am I talking bullshit? I don't know. But this is. I, I will pull out my my little notebook. I literally have like notes from my screening screen, screenwriting 101 class. So yeah. Yay. <laughs> I got. Yes. You. If I'm ever if I'm ever teaching a class at Grub Street, I'm gonna send you the link, and maybe you could take a class with me. <laughs> I'll I'll do it, girl. Don't tease me with with a good time. I'm not kidding. I do teach classes sometimes, like adult classes at Grub Street, and everything's virtual now. So I'll let you know. Facts. Well, <laughs> listeners and viewers, we are exiting out and letting you guys go. Until next time, we say bye together. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alexa. Bye. <laughs> Please remember to rate, review, subscribe before you go. Until next time.